Well, friends, we've been in the Gospel Project for four years, and this is the last message of all the books except for Revelation. Uh, as I was looking at the, the layout of the last books of the Bible we were going to talk about, I found it odd that Roger, uh, Elder Roger spoke last week, the book of Jude, that's the little book right before Revelation, but I was coming and doing Second Peter, I thought, why are they doing this out of order? But very strategic, they, they'd taken a good look in the theme of these last letters, and so I hope this morning as we open the book of Second Peter, I'll get that on the screen for us, that you will uh, open this book up in the same thought process we had last week. And I'm thankful for Pastor Shane and then for Roger being able to bring the word of God. What a comfort it is as a pastor to know that we have men, godly men, who can handle the word of God. Ben was supposed to be preaching today, but it is his birthday. Um, and he will be preaching again in a few weeks. He'll be coming up uh, at the end of March to preach for us. Um, but Second Peter 3, if you'd turn there, get a gadget there. Second Peter the first thing that should strike you is the author. The author is Peter, but, but he's a restored disciple at this point. Uh, you know the story of Peter, right? Uh, these are stories that thrill my heart because the Bible is filled with incredible leaders, the, the main leaders of our faith. The Catholics actually put Peter as the first pope. Uh, we don't believe that that actually is true, but Peter was definitely an incredible man of God, and, and he wrote this book here around 67, 68, close to before he died, which if you do the math, and Roger did this last week, this puts this book being written less than 40 years after Christ death on a cross. Less than 40 years. And by the way, you'll notice that Peter in the book is saying, he's coming back soon. It's only been 40 years, and Peter was sure it was going to happen in his day. And since then, a whole line of preachers have stood before their congregation saying it could be today. And they're right. It could be today. And we look for him to come. But Peter wrote this book on what occasion? He wrote it as a reminder for believers to live in holiness and godliness as we await Jesus' return and the salvation he has promised. That leads us to the big idea today. The big idea is while we wait, everybody say wait. wait. While we wait, guard yourself from spiritual error. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Glorify him with your life. Again, the same theme that Elder Rogers spoke about last week, about guarding the doctrine, guarding the truth of God's word. Don't let it get watered down. Don't let it get changed. Make sure you check it for accuracy. And the, the same theme is here. As Peter begs believers, wait. Be looking for Christ to come back. And while we're waiting, it could be today, but while we're waiting... Guard, grow, glorify. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But back to what I was saying about Peter. I'm so thankful our scripture is full of heroes like Peter. Peter failed. I, I could tell you so many times where Peter failed. And I smile because I, I hope to be as much of a failure someday as they were. 
When I say they failed, I mean I'm not talking absolute uh, turning against the gospel. No, they, they failed in ways that we can relate to. Our heroes of the faith were people like us. I want to remind you today that Simon Peter, as he was called, the name Simon means shaky. It means a reed blowing in the wind. But we know what Jesus added to his name. Shaky, unstable, waving in the wind. Then Jesus says, you will be Peter, which means the rock. Upon this rock I'll build my church. Jesus changes shaky and unstable into a rock. I love that. Peter's the one. My favorite story about the boat and the water. I mean, Peter's the guy in the boat who, who says the incredible words as there's 12 disciples, 11 of them are shaking in the boat as there's a storm on the sea. Jesus walks on the water and, and they say, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. It is I. Great three words. It is I. And the next words you hear are, Lord, if it's you, can I come to you on the water? That's Peter. And he walked on water. He got down out of the boat, walked on water. Woo! Big hero moment. But then he follows it with errors. I mean, he has great moments and then failure. Victories and failures. It's Peter that when Jesus is with the disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Abraham, some say, some are saying, some are saying. And then Jesus says, who do you say I am? It was Peter who got the answer right. Ding, 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 ding. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Woo! Way to go, Peter. Another victory. And it's just moments later when Jesus says, and I'm on my way to Jerusalem because I must die on a cross. And it's Peter that then steps up, feeling pretty good about himself, walking on water and getting the answer right. And it's then that Peter says, no, shame on you, Jesus. Don't talk like that. We won't let you die. And Jesus looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, I mean, I walked on water. I got the answer right. Remember when I got the answer right? Nope. Get thee behind me, Satan. What's my name? Am I Satan? Am I Peter? Am I Simon? Who am I? (laughs) He's just like you and I. I mean, don't you get it? Don't you relate to failure? Don't you, don't you relate? It's Peter. (laughs) It's Peter in the garden when they come to arrest him. He's a fisherman, by the way. I don't know who gave him a sword, but he's a fisherman, right? And they come to arrest Jesus at night. It's dark, and all I know is Peter whips out a sword and starts flailing. He cuts off somebody's ear. I mean, how, how bad do you have to be at this to cut off somebody's ear? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, stop, everybody, freeze. Can you imagine that moment when Jesus picks up that ear? Can you imagine that soldier, what he's thinking? He puts his ear back on and heals it. Peter, he's ready to fight to the death. And then moments later, Jesus had said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And here's some girl calling him out. Hey, aren't you one of them? He's one of them. No, I'm not. I don't know this Jesus. No, no, it's him. He's one of the disciples. I know. And then he starts cussing and swearing and he starts denying. Three times he denies that he knows Christ. Peter... And you're the walking on water, dude. You're the sword-flying guy. And now you're crying and hiding from a girl. 
I get it. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful our, our gospel Bible is not a made-up story. Because if you'd make up a story, you'd never say those things. You'd never have heroes that were failures. But our Bible is not a made-up religious story. It's history. It's actually events that took place and they're told just as they are because they're people just like you. They're people just like me. We have moments of victory and we fail. So let's listen to our mighty warrior failure, shaky rock teach us this morning. In 2 Peter 3, 1 through 18, I'll read it out loud as you follow along. Dear friends, This is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the prophets, holy prophets, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming he has promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word that heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the word of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I'll stop there for a second. Give me your eyeballs. Again, this is Less than 40 years from Christ dying on the cross, and already people are saying, oh yeah, you said he was coming back. Where is he? That's 40 years. Now we're over 2,000 years later. I love that this verse is in Scripture. As Peter reminds us, to the Lord, a day is as a, a, a thousand day, a year. What is it? A year is a day. I'll read it. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So my math goes like this. We're over 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross. So in the Lord's counting, we're just about two days in. We're about two days in. And yet there'll be scoffers. He's not coming. There's going to be people that say, ah, this is a myth. He's not coming. Then he goes on. And he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter's got this right. I often tell you there's really nothing holding back the final day, the great and terrible day of the Lord, when Jesus will come back and and take his church and the tribulation will begin and, and There's nothing holding that back. I don't think there's a historical event we still need to take place. It can happen at any moment. But we often talk about that. But we we fail to mention this. God is a God of judgment who eventually is going to say, I'm done with that. In the days of Noah, God relented because they were corrupt and violent. 
corruption and violence ruled the day. I can't imagine a day where those two words aren't more apropos. Corruption and violence are the day today. And so we wonder, when is enough going to be enough? When is God going to say that's it? But we forget this point. The reason he's holding back is because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so today we wait because someone still has not accepted him as Savior. I don't know who it is. I don't know where they're at. That's why he's given us a job. Go proclaim the gospel. Tell it to the whole world. So two things. God's coming back and saying enough's enough. Sin is done. I'm getting done with that. But he's also saying, but I'm waiting, patiently waiting so that those who will be saved will be redeemed. God is patient. Let's continue on. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, which means burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which arrogant and and ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. i got to stop there. Peter not only had heroic moments and failure moments, but honestly, he didn't get along with Paul very well. When you look earlier on, Peter and Paul are at odds with each other. And I don't see them being best of friends. And yet here it is at the end of time, a little more age and a little more wisdom. And guess what Peter's doing? He's saying, listen to Paul. He's right. Listen to my brother. I love to see that growth. I love to see that development in the Christian walk. That as he couldn't get along with Paul earlier, now he's saying, listen and read Paul's writing. He's right. And and judge it carefully because people are going to distort it. So you better know it. Remember Roger told you last week, how do you see a counterfeit? How do you know a counterfeit? You don't study all the counterfeits that are out there. You study the real deal. You get to know what the real deal is. And then a counterfeit becomes very clear and obvious. So he says, Peter says, look to Paul. Wow, it's a humble thing. And then it ends with what I want to preach today. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends... So you got a therefore, right? When you see a therefore, we got to go back and find out what it's there for. So I'm going to preach this last verse because he's summing up everything he just said. It makes it easy to preach. Dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Peter. You wrote my message today. Three points and an acronym. I I mean, not an acronym, but he uses three G's. I mean, how good could this get people? As a pastor, when you see the three G's and it's already in Scripture, this is a done deal. 
So this morning, let's talk about guarding, growing, and glorifying while we wait. While we wait, Lord, come back. Oh, Lord, come back at any time. Relieve us of this. Come, have your way. But while we wait, we should be looking. And while we're waiting, we should be guarding. Peter's steadfastness. Let's look at Luke 22 and 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, shaky. Remember, it means shaky. That your faith may not, be, may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Don't forget that Simon was the shaky one who God called the rock. And so now he's coming and saying, everybody be stable. Don't be wavering. Don't be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. That's his name. Simon, shaky, the reed. There's no stability in a reed. Don't build with a reed. That's not building quite material. And Simon is saying, I used to be shaky, but now I'm on a solid foundation. You steadfast once unstable changed into a rock of steadfastness and he's saying guard doctrine guard the word of god don't let it get twisted it's so easy today that people take the bible and they make it fit their own thought my son came home so upset is he, he heard uh, on the radio some people talking about the Bible. There's a little forum, right? And people meet and they talk about what the Bible says. And somebody was up there giving their idea of, about certain moral issues of the day. And they're just like saying, well, no, it, it doesn't mean that. And, and my son came up so mad. He's like, Dad, the Bible clearly talks about that as sin. And now they're saying, no, no, it's great. It's fine. It's wonderful. He was so upset that how could they do that when it's so clear? First, I stopped and thanked God that my son knew clear gospel truth. And secondly, I said, son, this is the way of the world today. It doesn't matter what it clearly, plainly says. They'll twist it to make it fit. And the Bible warns us of that. In the latter days, men will have itchy ears wanting to hear only what satisfies them. And they'll have plenty of preachers that get up and are afraid to call sin, sin. And they'll take sin and they'll take it and make it a joyful thing. And oh, that's the world we live in. Peter says, no, don't be shaky. Be solid. And as Roger preached last week and Peter teaches us today, guard. Everybody say guard. Stand firm and don't be tossed about. To be alerted is to be prepared. The word prognosis comes to mind. I hate medical prognosis. You've often heard about going to, I go to the doctor. Remember I told you about my doctor who I thought was a young man, healthy young guy, and then I found out he was my age? Then I really hated him. <laughs> I used to get mad because he'd always come and, t- as soon as I'd walk in, he'd tell me, he'd do my blood pressure, he'd do all that stuff, and he'd do my blood work, and he'd always tell me the same prognosis. If you would like to live long, or at least longer, eat right. Exercise, lose weight. Shut up! I'm gonna, you know, I love you in Jesus, but I want to pump you in the face. And I and I thought he was just saying it because he was a young punk, you know, and he was healthy and young. I'm like, well, I wait till you get my age, and then you'll find out how hard. And then I found out he was my age. It made me so mad. He is healthy. He is doing it the right way. And oh, I, the prognosis is very clear. Eat right, exercise, lose weight. Every time, 
I pay him every time I go to hear the same thing. I'm thinking about it, canceling my next appointment and calling him and saying, hey, listen, I probably should eat right, exercise, and lose weight. Yep, that's it. I'm not coming. Bye. <laughs> prognosis. The prognosis is there because it clearly tells you, watch for this and do this. Peter's given us the prognosis clearly today. Here's Peter's prognosis for the church in this passage. Beware of untaught, unstable, unprincipled, which means lawless people who distort scripture. Are you careful? You can listen to anybody proclaim the word today on blogs and podcasts. And I know you can, you can hear it all. And, and Ben and I sat in the conference room uh, this, this Thursday. We were listening to a conference and I heard a guy get up and talk and I just was, I was de- devastated. I was devastated. It was a conference about the future of the church and what it's going to look like after coronavirus. And, and their whole thing, it turns out it was a commercial for micro churches. And, and it was, we need to be small churches of 10 or 12 meeting in homes. And no longer are we going to gather side by side in pews. So it's, it's about relationship, not rows, which I understand. Some people might be, not be drawn to the gathering, but maybe they'll come to a small, I'm fine with small groups, let's have small groups, but you still need to show up and hear the word of God. Because his prognosis was, since this doesn't work anymore, we're going to do small church, and it's going to be a bunch of new Christians gathering around there. And you know what, you read John 16 last week, just read John 17 this week, and then go around and ask everybody, how did you feel about that? And I said, what? This is the plan? Not a pastor. Nobody trained in, 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 in opening up God's word and understanding how it's written to us and what it means. Just everybody talking about what they feel about a Bible passage. Nobody stands up and proclaims, this is what the word of the Lord says. It's just a matter of opinion. And I said, oh no. No, no, Peter warns us, beware of untaught, unstable, unprincipled, lawless people who distort scripture. I'm all for small groups. Y'all come and hear the word here and get fed and then go and talk about what the Lord says, not what you think about the Lord says. I'm all for community and relationship groups but that cannot substitute the preaching of God's word. I'm not tooting my own horn. It can be Ben, it can be Shane, it can be Roger, it can be whoever proclaims, whoever stands here and says, thus saith the Lord. That's what you need to be fed. And Peter says, be careful. Don't let untaught, unstable, unprincipled people distort scripture. It wasn't too long ago a man was in my living room telling me I was doing it all wrong. He was attending here. He wanted to start his own church. He wanted to be a pastor. And, and I just started asking him, how are you going to do that? I mean, what are you going to preach? He goes, oh, I don't, I don't worry about that. I'll get up on Sunday and I'll pray. Lord, give me words and I'll just start talking. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I understand that sounds really good and really spiritual. But don't forget, there's another source that would like to come out of your mouth as well. And so if you don't have any time of study in the scripture, you just want to proclaim whatever comes to mind. I said, that's dangerous. Don't do it. Let us help you. Oakwood will send you to a Bible college. We'll help you get a training. We'll pay for it. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll walk beside you. When you're ready, maybe we'll launch you. I was really trying to be optimistic. He had no time for that. He was going to do it no matter what. And he did. And it failed. My heart breaks because the failure was catastrophic. It didn't need to happen. 
If only he'd stayed for the preaching of the word and had community where he would grow. But he didn't have time for that. Peter warns us, be on guard. But Peter's motivation is love. If you look at Peter 3, you'll see that this was out of love as he says, watch out. And you need to know this. Love is not always positive. Wait for the end of the slide. Love is not always positive. Sometimes love must include the negative side of warning about the destructive nature of sin. How many of you grew up as kids and you just, parents drove you nuts. Don't do that. Be careful. Watch out. And then today we're awful. It's wonderful to be the parent in a day of technology because we have Life 360 and we track our kids everywhere they go. Everywhere they're at, I have a map and I can tell you where Josh is. I can, whoo, I can follow him wrong. I can creep on my son. And, and when we're kids, we're like, ah, stop telling me what to do. Stop it. And then they become parents someday. And they have kids and they're like, ah, stop. Be careful. Don't pick up fire. It will hurt you. What do you know? I don't care what you do. (laughs) Love means saying no. And I believe Peter was motivated out of love, kind of as a parent in the faith. And he he was doing it out of love. And he's warning them, don't fall for this. It will cost you. It will hurt you. And so he warns them to be guarded. While we wait, we need to be growing. In verse 18a, he talks about growing. And we need to be growing, and growth depends on life. I can't say this enough, and this is why we brought the creepy baby in. You cannot grow if you're not alive. It's a simple, simple fact, but it's overlooked. I believe many, because the Bible says in Matthew 7 that many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, I was at church, I did good things, I gave money, and I sang in the choir. Many are going to do that, and he's going to say, I never knew you. You never came to spiritual life. You did spiritual things, but you were never spiritually born. Remember, we're told that we must be born again. And so don't, I'm afraid that so many churches are full of people that we keep saying, you need to grow, you need to grow, you need to grow. And they're sitting there dead as a doornail. They never have come to life. You cannot grow until you're born. And then we think about growth and how essential it is. We were talking about it this week, and Ben actually offered to come up here on stage in a diaper as my illustration. (laughs) Be thankful that your pastor has wisdom. (laughs) And I chose to not take him up on his birthday in his birthday suit, right? But wouldn't that be an incredible image? No. (laughs) Of an adult man wearing a diaper? Wouldn't that be sad if that's literally how he lived his life and everywhere he went, Kylie had to give him a bottle? And Kylie had to change his diaper because he's never grown up. And we all know that that is sad. It's actually silly and it's actually humorous. But we would never see that. We would never. And yet many people are born spiritually. They get birthed. They make a decision. They say a prayer. And then they don't grow. And so now they're 20 years in and they're still a baby, infant in diapers spiritually. They're being spoon-fed. And and, and I hate to say it, but we're wiping their spiritual butts because of the junk that comes out of their life. And and it's, where's the growth? You can't remain a baby. You just can't. There has to be growth. So growth is a necessity, not an option. Spiritually, once you are born again, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then growth is gradual, not instantaneous. I want to show you a picture we took in Hilton Head. This was years ago. 
Notice anything? That little squirt in the front, Joshua was shoulder height to Julie. That was just a few years ago. We did a reenactment several years. It's been at least two years ago now. We thought, let's do the same picture. This is one of our favorite restaurants. And so take a look at this. <laughs> Go back, if you would. Go backwards, Cass. Look at the picture. Now look at the picture. Boom. <laughs> we had so much fun doing that. I mean, you can see the growth. You go, oh my goodness, has he grown? And by the way, that was two years ago. He grew three inches since then, six foot five now, and huge, and his hair is just as long as he is. He's, he's grown. There's no doubt about it. And we were talking to his parents. Rob and I were talking this morning about his parents. Sometimes we don't see the growth because it's gradual. It would be weird if Josh went from one to another in a day. If we woke up one day and he's six foot five and he was only five foot four, that was, that's creepy. But it doesn't happen like that in life. There's a growth that takes place over time. Rob and I were talking about you see family you haven't seen in a year. And the same scenario at every family gathering. You walk in. I bet you the mouths get it, right? Oh, my goodness, how you've grown. And you're sitting there going, really? Really? Yeah, yeah, mom. He was underneath your shoulder, and now he's over your head. Yeah. You see it, but you might not see it when you're in it because it's gradual and growth is difficult, it's not easy. Growth means discipleship. Discipleship comes from the word discipline. In order to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we must be disciplined disciples of Jesus. And I want to take just a moment now to go into that a little deeper. What does growing mean? He says two things, grow in the grace Grow on the knowledge. What is growing in grace? Grace means undeserved favor. Remember, mercy means not getting what you do deserve. You ever played that finger game when you, you try to break somebody else's fingers and you go back and forth and finally somebody says, mercy, 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 mercy. What they're saying is, do not break my fingers. Have mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is different. It's getting something you do not deserve. It's undeserved favor. So how do you grow in this? Well, number one, I'm saved by grace, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I'm saved by grace. I'm sustained by grace. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, it says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm saved by grace. I'm sustained by grace. And I am given grace when I humble myself. How do you know you're growing out of the infant stage of spirituality into a, a maturing phase? Humility is one of the main markers. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You want to know if you're growing? How's your humility? How's your humility? Oakwood has a 3G statement out there on the wall. It says, we, we are growing a great family, guided by grace, grounded in faith, and going in love. Grace means humility that means putting up with failures and and not judging people not thinking the worst of people but think the best of people how are you doing are you still an infant tossed about 
everything you hear. Oh, I heard. I heard Pastor Ben. Oh, I heard Pastor Don. Or, oh, I heard Pastor Shane did this. And do, you, do you assume the worst? Grace and humility would mean no. I trust that the men of God that God gave to this church will be living this. I don't want to think the worst. I'm going to assume the best and find out. It's okay to ask. What about in other areas of your life? Are you showing grace and humility? I'm growing in grace when I have a greater understanding of God's holiness, justice, and sovereignty. How do I humble myself? Well, first thing you need to do is get to know Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus and who he really is, you'll get a good view of who you really are. Because when I'm growing in grace and understand God's holiness, justice, and sovereignty, I understand my rebellion, selfishness, and pride. Knowing Jesus makes me know who I am and my failures. So we grow in grace. And then I saw this hymn this week. It reminded me of this great, old, classic. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Boy, as Isaac Watts wrote this back in 1707, I don't wonder how many people came to him and said, Isaac, you ought to change the words of the first verse. Worm, it's a bad self-image. We want people to have a good self-image. Isaac, you probably ought to change that. I love the words of that hymn because the more you know who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, the more you realize you're groveling at the ground at the foot of the cross in desperate need. This is not about having a bad self-image. It's having a proper self-image. This doesn't mean diminishing yourself. It means putting yourself under the cross. And then he says, was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity. Grace unknown and love beyond degree. Whoa, Chris Tomlin, eat your heart out. David Crowder, I don't know if you've done it. This one did it. This is good. I'd be singing it for you. Praise God, my voice is gone. You're redeemed today. But drops of tears can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. I don't even think that one rhymes, but he's right. I think he's right. I love the sentiment. I'm seeing Isaac Watts in 1707 getting a good view of Jesus and then having a good view of himself. What does growing mean? It means growing in knowledge. I've got to hurry to finish. We've got growing in grace. And then he says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I must know Jesus. Are you studying scripture and learning facts about Jesus? Knowledge of who Jesus was is a good thing. We ought to do that. But that's not the end goal because I must also know Jesus personally. It's not enough to know about him when you also must know him. Are you with me? We know facts about Jesus, but we must know Jesus in a living, living, working relationship with him. Ah, knowing Jesus means obeying Jesus. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me and will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 2, uh, 3 or 4. Three, uh, 
If you claim to know him, you must obey him. You must do what he says. If you say you know him and do not obey him, then you're a liar. You do not know him. The truth is not in you. The Bible's very clear that spiritual growth is a necessity, not an additive. If you receive salvation, grow in grace, humility, but also grow in the knowledge of who he is and in a relationship with him. So walk in that way. Knowing Jesus means not being able to separate Jesus as Savior from Jesus as Lord. He's both Savior and Lord. Every time I share the gospel message, I urge people to pray and ask God to save them. And I give them a sample prayer, and it always goes like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as Savior and Lord. Because it's not just about, I know that Jesus died on a cross, and I feel really bad about that. It's about, he's died on a cross, done everything he needed to save me. Now I give myself to him, and he becomes king on the throne. Michael Green wrote these words. I gotta, this is really deep. Knowledge of Jesus and knowledge about Jesus are, if they keep pace with one another both the safeguard against heresy and apostasy and also the means of growth in grace. That's good. That's good. If they keep pace with each other, what does that mean? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Quote, quote, Paul, or Peter. That's what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3. All of this we come to glorifying. While we wait, we need to be guarding. Everybody say guarding. We need to be growing. Everybody say growing. And lastly, we need to be glorifying. Everybody say glorifying. Jesus is worthy of all glory and honor. Revelation 5, verse 12. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is Jesus. We need to be glorifying, lifting him up. The goal of the Christian life is to glorify Jesus in everything. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everybody say all. Do it all. All means all. That's all all means. In everything you do, we glorify God. We, we, we lift him up so the world can see him. We bring glory to him. I must bring glory to Jesus so that others may see how truly great he is. In John 3 and verse 30, he must become greater and I must become less. If you're growing in grace and knowledge and you've, you've moved from infant to maturing, then you'll obviously find that it needs to be less about you and more about him. There's a great little thing there. I'm not saying go out and get this as a tattoo. If you want to, go ahead. But big he... And then it decreases to the small I. He must increase. I must decrease is what John 3 and 30 said. He must increase and I must decrease. If you're growing as a believer, be guarding, be growing, be glorifying Jesus so that he is seen, not you. While we wait, guarding, growing, glorifying Team, why don't you come up to help us do the blessing as we get ready to leave. And while they come, I want to end with this story. And it's about the message today. I I want to wrap it all up into two words. Finishing strong. That's what Peter's saying. And so you came to faith, but you need to be guarding. And you need to be growing. You need to be glorifying God. So finish strong. 
It's not just about saying a prayer and starting into salvation and staying an infant. No, you weren't called to salvation to get into heaven. This is not a get out of hell free card. This is not a fire insurance that you pull out of your pocket. This is a way of life. It's kingdom living. And so I end with the story about the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. A man named John Stephen, I can't pronounce his last name, Akwari from Tanzania. He ran a long marathon. They'd finished the race. And they were leaving. They were packing up. Everybody was leaving. The medals had been handed out and they're ready to leave the stadium when all of a sudden they heard sirens. And so everybody stopped and watched as this ambulances and fire trucks pulled in and a runner hobbling. See, John had had a terrible accident in the marathon and he hurt and wounded himself and he was bleeding. But he got up and he kept running. And so now hours later as everybody's leaving the stadium in Mexico City, here comes John. And so they stayed and they cheered him on. And he finished the finish line with the crowd erupting more than they did for the winner. They were like, good job. And so they met with him afterward. And somebody asked him, why didn't you quit? In view of your injury and the fact that you weren't going to win, why didn't you just quit? And I love what he says. John says, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Finish strong. We're not called to just start the race, but to run the race with endurance. Guard it. Grow in it. Give glory to God. Father God, in the name of Jesus today, may we honor the words of Peter, your victorious failure, your your wavy rock. God, I pray we would listen to his words and grow in it. And God, that we would, uh, again, reflect your son so that the world might see. May we be bright and salty. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.